Welcome fitness humans. This is Wave Talks episode 16. And today we're discussing setbacks and adversity in your fitness training and life in general. We're lucky enough to be joined by Brett Friesen, who is going to share his story of his motorcycle accident and tell us about how it set back his plans and how he overcame this horrible event. We'll then discuss some tips and strategies for you to try. Brett, why don't you get started and tell us your story? Well, Cam, thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys all inviting me on here and uh, giving me the chance to tell the story because I'm sure uh, I'm not the only one who's had this. Um, unfortunately, you know, summertime is the time that you hear on the news all the time that, you know, accidents in certain intersections and, you know, motorcyclists injured. And unfortunately, became one of those statistics. Um, yeah, so what happened was it was just a normal, uh, normal day at work. Got on my bike after I was off from 530 in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, going through an intersection, I crested a hill and noticed a guy going the opposite direction uh, in the left hand turn lane. And, the, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, better watch that guy just in case he decides to move. And sure enough, just as I crossed the crosswalk of the intersection, he, he proceeded. So I immediately hit um, his, his front right fender, uh, flew over his hood. I missed his, my head missed his uh, fender by about an inch. So I had a cut on my head in the end of it there. But uh, yeah, went over his hood. Um, the front of his car hit me. Um, I rolled a few, uh, few feet to the sidewalk there. And basically all I remember is the impact. I it went dark. And then I remember waking up on the sidewalk and the first thing I did was check my teeth because I thought oh, I got an open face helmet. If I'm losing, if I'm missing my teeth, I'm going to look so silly right now. Um, priorities, priorities, right? You know, <laughs> I had braids as a kid. This is a major investment. Um, anyways, check the teeth. They're all there. No problem. Okay. So now open my eyes and, uh, see the sidewalk there. Okay. Get to the sidewalk, get out of the street, deal with everything from there. Um, as I got up, I noticed my left wrist was not at the angle it's supposed to be. Um, it was at a complete 90 degree and uh, I couldn't move it. So that was the other sign that things weren't great. As I walked to the curb, my hip hurt. I thought, oh, you know, I probably banged it. Something like that, I'm limping, get to the curb, lie down. And then luckily enough, somebody took control of the situation, bystander saw it. Um, and then from there, you know, ambulance came, go to the hospital, White Rock, you know, a few other injuries were discovered at that point in time, lacerations, um, and internal bleeding was one of them. So then I got rushed to Royal Columbian, um, where they said, no, we have to try and stop this for anything else. Um, lucky enough, uh, so that evening, go into surgery, um, and I asked the doctor as I'm getting rolled in, I'm like, am, am I going to be okay? And he only said, we're going to try our best. So that was a fun thing to go to sleep to. Yeah, that's um, intense. Yeah, so that was, I didn't really know the severity until I heard that. Um, but then I, I went under, I, they woke up the next day, they were able to stop it. Um, and then I found out the extent of my injuries, which was, um, I had actually separated my pelvis. My pubic symphysis was not holding the center of my pelvis together. Um, so I was in a, basically a pelvic binder when I woke up. Um, my wrist was still broken, they set it, but they couldn't do the surgery yet. Um, I had severed the, the vein in my pelvis that went down to my, my leg, my right leg, I believe it was. Um, I also dislocated my SI joint, um, fractured a little bit, and then again, scraped some bruises. And little graphic details, I'm going to share it for everyone who's, uh, who's been through it. Um, I actually uh, split open my scrotum on the bike. So that was a fun one to deal with. Ooh. We talk about ego, identity, and all this stuff with recovery. 
um, big one for a, for a man who's been a motorcycle for so many years. Um, and then it was 10 days in the hospital, three surgeries, um, a lot of nurses who were amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, just the, your idea of yourself is gone after that. Once you've realized what you're going through and you don't know what the future holds. But yeah, it took them four days to do the surgery on my wrist. My fingers started going black, which is why they actually ended up doing the surgery so quick. But what kept happening at Royal Columbian is they're so busy that other more severe um, accidents came in because it's the only trauma center in, or in the lower mainland here. So just kept waiting, waiting, waiting. So finally, fingers go black. Okay, we should probably fix this guy's wrist. Um, so <laughs> oh, now we're gonna now fix we're it. gonna do it. Um, so they did that, and that was again when I went under. They said you're either gonna have an apparatus on the top of your hand holding your wrist together, or we're gonna put a plate on it. But we don't know what's gonna work best. Um, so again, another unknown. Um, but before that, they had the pelvis surgery. So there's a plate in my pelvis now, and a bolt in my or was a bolt in my side joint at the time. Um, and then um, went home and killed my parents. That's kind of the, the long and short of the, the story and then of the accident itself. With all those injuries sustained, <laughs> 10 days in the hospital doesn't really feel like it's that, that long. much. It, it didn't. And honestly, when I went home, my parents were furious. They're like, why did they let you go? They should still be taking care of you. You can barely walk. Yeah. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't put weight on my left, my left wrist, but I also couldn't put weight on my right leg. Yeah. So I had a crutch on my right and I had to balance on the left foot. And, oh, man. Yeah, and then it was you a, couldn't use your left hand to stabilize so or anything. You had two limbs for an extended period of time. Absolutely. But yeah. that's interesting. Just when you're telling us this, you're saying, like, so 10 days in the hospital, then, like, I needed to get out of there. I had to go home and start healing. So, like, you yeah. already kind of feeling that the best thing for you is to yeah. start moving forward. The, uh, the room I was in was the, it wasn't the ICU, it was like the one step below, the step down ICU, whatever you want to call it. Is that literally um, what it's called? The step, is it? step down unit. There we go. Oh. So that was it. So everyone in the unit with me, um, they were like basically shy of life support. This is what I was surrounded by. That must have been terrifying to be surrounded by people who you would see as in worse situations as you and you've been clumped in into their yep. category yep and like the nurses are chatting with me but they can't chat to anybody else so it was kind of like yeah in my head i'm going what am i doing here you know i, I feel okay you're the you life know, of why? the party <laughs> in the step down more i mean the nurses were fantastic i gotta say there was one nurse who <laughs> so painkillers all day all night you know and uh one of the nurses i ended up calling her casual uh, probably won't, shouldn't give her name but well, whatever his first name casual chelsea um she came out and said like, hey brett how you feeling and i'm like ah oh, you know this, this kind of sucks She's like, well, you know, we can just put like a quick release valve in your tricep there and just give you drugs whenever. I said, but what, isn't it like too much? Like, what if I don't wake up? She's like, we got stuff for that. If you want more, we can just give you more. <laughs> I'm like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's try it. <laughs> and I had a very good sleep that night. <laughs> what was it like when you finally realized the gravity of the situation that you were in? Well, first, it was a huge relief because I'm like, okay, I didn't die. You know, that was the big thing was that they stopped the bleeding. Okay, I'm out of the woods, um, you know, but then you start, I, I looked at my body and I was like, oh, like I had a tube coming from a scar in my, my pelvis here that was just to catch excess blood from the surgery. Um, that was weird because it literally just went inside my body. I could have pulled it out and I'm like, well, that's the inside of my pelvis. That is just my, a cavity. Yeah. Um, so that was super weird. Um, yeah, and then feeling kind of okay, being like, oh, then I'm like, all right, you're on a bunch of drugs right now. That's why you feel okay. And then the unknown. So mentally, it's going, how is this going to affect me? I thought my legs, I can't move my leg. Um, am I ever going to run? Is that ever going to happen again? 
right? I get my wrist. Will I do a push-up? Will I be able to lift the weight? Will I be able to carry, you know, somebody's kid in the future? All those things go through my mind. Um, so yeah, just your sense of self gets gets rocked. Is is what happens. That was the biggest thing. Yeah. And as you went through the recovery, did you experience any setbacks along the way? Yeah, yeah. You can have a Rocky Mountain recovery. That's no problem. Um, and once you realize that, it's it's a lot easier to take those setbacks. So when you do go into physio and you, okay, squeeze five pounds and you can't, and you go, or you can't lift a coffee cup or, um, which did happen. I, you know, I tried to pour a cup of coffee one morning and it fell over and I just, you know, burned my hand and it was, it was awful. It reminds me of cognitive dissonance where you don't match up with what you think your image of things should be, right? So you have this identity or this, uh, realm of what you're capable of and in a fraction of a moment it's taken away but you don't actually catch up with that change until you get these small realizations and I like I know the initial accident is hard but did you find that going through that process of realizing that you weren't who you thought you were after the accident harder than the actual injuries themselves or were the injuries harder honestly I want to I gotta say they're on like the same the same level because uh, on top of what you think you know about yourself um, you also have a doctor's report you're reading saying Brett had this he's going to have this this is gonna happen five years from now he also had this he may have this and he's gonna have this five years from now um, so you have that layer so you, you know part of you goes I want to prove them wrong but others particularly their doctors for a reason they know what they're talking about so, yeah, and I imagine it would almost feel easy to sort of like succumb to those expectations yep. or like lean into them and be like, well, if this is going to happen, what's the point of, yep. of working past this? That's exactly it. And you know, I, I'll get a little more TMI possibly, but, you know, going back to the, the scrotum injury, you know, one of the things they said was, you know, he might not be able to get an erection for the rest of his life. That was one big thing. So as a young 26-year-old, you know, 27-year-old man, that was huge. Am I not going to yeah. have kids? Am I not going to be able to have a family? Am I not going to be able to... You know, then your idea of family changes, your idea of yourself changes. Um, that was a big hurdle to overcome. Yeah. And I think from a practitioner standpoint, language that you use and how you say things matters so much in recovery because you hearing that might have deterred you from ever thinking you would be capable of having children ever again or just thinking that it wasn't an option for you. Be right back, going to the monastery. Yeah, right? Like <laughs> y you that could be the end all be all for you. But for them to say that, you know, this could have long-term damage is very different than saying you might not be able to have kids. Yes. So leaving it a little more open-ended and knowing that there's hope capability. But I think a lot of the time, um, and this is not all of course, but doctors and surgeons, they, they go for worst case scenario because that's how they have to function. Mm -hmm. They have to function in worst case scenario. Well, and, and I think they do want to, prepare you like since they are professionals and whatnot you know you like the jess was saying you either take it at their word or try it for yourself that's uh they said like you know i can't do a push-up well i'm gonna try and do it anyway and the difference between real pain and you know hurting something else or recovery pain right because if everyone can recover it's not it's not easy right that's not uh, oh you just said <laughs> uh, you just mentioned like recovery pain yeah. versus real pain and that's like such a huge point to bring up because 
you know, when you're in this point, when you are experiencing all these different pains from your injuries, and then you're starting to build and move forward and strengthen, there's absolutely going to be new pain with that. And when you're still kind of dealing with injury pain, that must be a little bit scary. So for you to be able to like have that in you, that this is just the recovery pain, not that that means it's easier to take, but it's kind of, you can sort of work with your brain that way and Mm -hmm. your mindset and say like, this is safe. This is okay. I can keep moving forward. This is not. And it's, it's like really incredible that, that you could make that distinction right away. A psychologist helped me a lot with that. Amazing. Honestly, because um, one of the things that happened was after you know I got out of the hospital, okay, follow up in eight weeks, whatever it was. Well, the plate in my pelvis, the screws that he had put in were backing off. So when he had that x-ray, he goes, we may have to go back. Um, and if we have to go back, we're fusing your pelvis. So see me again in four weeks and we'll, we'll see what happens then. So to fuse the pelvis, well, now you don't have that, that back and forth motion. Yeah. Um, and now you're even more you know, hindered in your movements. Um, so that was, again, mentally crap, what's going to happen. I don't know. Lucky enough, they stayed in place and that's all fine. But with my psychologist, I was saying, you know, I was scared of falling. I was scared of doing anything that could affect the pelvis. Mm -hmm. You know, one, when it snowed that year that happened, oh God, I'm not going outside. I'm staying inside. It's not happening. Going back to what you said about recovery pain versus injury pain. I think that's a distinction that a lot of people that are recovering from struggle with. Mm -hmm. And Uh, From what I've seen, people who have been physically active most of their lives are a little bit better at differentiating that kind of pain than somebody who has not dabbled in movement for a chunk of their lives. So why do you think that you were able to make that distinction so, well, obviously with the help of a therapist, but why do you think that was easier for you? Like, do you have experience with lots of movement in your life? Like anything that helped you with that? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Funny you should ask. Um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, back in my early 20s, I, uh, I, I did yoga for quite some time. Um, I, had, I had moved in Richmond, uh, yoga studio down the street, started practicing, wanted to be more flexible, it's a little bit of exercise and loved the teachings. And from there actually ended up becoming um, a yoga teacher part-time. Uh, took the 200 hour training and so you get I built that mind body connection of pain versus stretch versus breathing into that pain acknowledging it both mental and physical um and uh and, and growing from there so that really did yeah absolutely helped um in the recovery process with all of it so with that context mm-hmm. how long before you started to feel normal again and was this a new normal like is it like one of those times that you look back and go like oh i've lost something or something has changed yeah it took about a solid two years before there was some kind of normalcy um back in my life that were the the fear of things was a lot less um you know some would say hey do you want to go snowboarding i'm like i don't know if i can i got wrist injuries pelvis injuries i don't know and then finally it's like well you've been good for like you know at this point it was like three years i think it was when i finally did, went snowboarding for the first time um but it was a very, you know, trepidatious uh, moment. Mm-hmm. And, but I did it. I, I did it. You know, I fell on my butt a few times. I, you know, I braced myself on my wrist and nothing bad happened. Yeah, it was sore. Yeah, a little bit longer than some other people, but it happened. Um, and that was the biggest thing that mm-hmm. just trying the things out, right? Yeah. That was, that was the biggest thing. And I do think that's a lot of cases of major accidents. You know, two years sounds like a lot but it's not an unreasonable amount of time for you to recover for you to recover to let's say 70%. Yeah. 
And I think um, as somebody who's worked in rehab with a lot of car accident uh, clients, it's a tough conversation that you kind of avoid as a practitioner saying, listen, like most people take up to two years to start to feel somewhat like themselves again, because that seems just the biggest hill that you could ever have to try to conquer when you say two years to somebody. It seems like a really lengthy period of time, but it's slow and it's natural and it's not something that you can just force yourself into right because there's not just physical injuries like you said there's all these other things there's your identity crises there's your um, long-term psychological components where you doubt your capability because of what's happened to you do you think that because how far are you from your accident now I, I it's five years um, next week actually and do you still feel that way sometimes? There's there's certain triggers. There's certain things that still pop up. I mean, PTSD is a you know a, a sleeping giant. Unfortunately, it's mm-hmm. uh, likes to creep up in weird moments. Um, and even to this day, I mean, it, it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. But you know, I'll be watching a show and sirens come on, and I'll start welling up a little bit. And it's just a weird you know this that can't explain it. But not yeah. physically, I'm not going. Oh my god! It just body reacts to it. Um, I totally get that. Th- yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, Weird that way, but um, sorry, I lost a train of thought. Can you repeat your question again? Because speaking of triggered, <laughs> way to go, Jess. <laughs> I lost a train of thought there. No, I said, <laughs> yeah. um, are there things oh. that still come up so, that uh, you know bother you, that remind you of that, or that you still struggle with five years later? Uh, hip pain is one thing that comes up uh, frequently, and I've been trying to work through it with different stretches, different exercises, mm-hmm. um, and I'll be good for a while, and then I'll do a movement. And bam, there it is, almost immediately. Mm. And it's right like in the balls of your hips, mm. um, and both of them. So I think it's the the adductor or something around there. Um, that yeah, it, it just flares up. And for that day, I'll be out, you know, almost. Uh, if depending on how severe it is, like the last one I had, I almost you know couldn't walk that evening. It hurt so bad. But the next day, I'm fine. Mm. Next day, completely fine. Go for a hike, no problem. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what happens with your mental state there? Do you go to like catastrophe in that moment, or do you go to Oh, well, today's a write-off. I'll probably be okay tomorrow. The second part. Yeah, exactly that. That's great. Yeah. That's a hard place to get to. I was just going to say, like, did it take a while to get there? You know, a little bit because, yeah, you think, oh, this is going to be forever. And then, again, I go back to, okay, well, it's a body part. We, it moves. It changes. It, um, it stretches. It tightens. All mm-hmm. those things. So, obviously, if it's flaring up, I've been at my desk too long. Right, or that—that's how my mind goes. Is that you know, I've been sitting down too much, so it's that's shortening. That's like the it's... dream thing to hear from somebody. <laughs> so stretch it out. Do a low lunge. You know, get that going. Get that adductor stretch. Do a wide forward fold. Um, you Love know, just it. anything to. By to the get way, you. shameless plug: we have quite a few uh, videos on how to stretch at your desk, either standing or sitting. So. Actually, and I've watched many of them, and they've been great. Well, I've been at work. Well, how wonderful! Sometimes you know when there's a little break and I'm scrolling through Instagram or something like that. I say, oh, Jess has got a hip, a hip opener right now. Yeah, you know I'm at my desk. I'm gonna lean forward, put my my ankle on my knee, and just bend forward, get that piriformis stretched out, and go on my day. Perfect. <laughs> well, I think um, you know we spend our whole lives developing a relationship with our bodies. And that's often like a difficult relationship, even under the best circumstances. So to think of something like that, how it would change your relationship, you know, and like you said, trying to figure out what these new pains are and new feelings are, you know, I think that kind of plays into it. And like you, you even said, Jess, like with our self-identity. And so like, how do we figure out what that, 
you know, how do we keep like nurturing that relationship with our bodies when sometimes it feels like it's failing us because of things we feel we can't control? Right. And that's where you're the author of your own story, right? And if you got to rewrite some chapters, you got to write some chapters. Yeah. You know, that you're the main editor too. You know, you can cross that line out and redo it or, you know, yeah, add, an, add another page to it. It's, you know, I know it kind of sounds cliche or, you know, cheesy, but that's exactly what got it through was just you're the master of your own destiny. You know, you choose to do it and you do it. So do you feel then that you really manifested being where you are right now? I think it was a big part of it because it was it's very easy to give up. It's very easy to say, well, they gave me painkillers. And I, I got to say that the, with what they prescribed me, I, I don't. I can see wholeheartedly why opioids are such a, a prominent drug in our society these days. Mm-hmm. Um, they had prescribed me, I want to say it was like 30 pills. And they said, take three a day for two weeks. Also, it's non-refillable. Um, so if I had d- taken that dose, what they, they said, I can definitely see how a dependency would form. And you're still, and two weeks later, you're still in pain, right? There's still stuff going on. Um, and then they said, you can't refill that. So now you're just stuck with Tylenol. Well, I'm sure some people, that's why people go to the street or go somewhere else and get their, you know, the stronger stuff. Well, and right? like, what if somebody doesn't have the support and resources to see a therapist, psychologist, rehab, uh, kinesiologist, all these people, mm-hmm. then those pills are kind of... All you got. Yeah. You, you hit the nail on the head, actually. That was the other thing, is, is the, the privilege that I did have with, my parents took care of me. My job, I had benefits that I got short-term or long-term disability from them. Um, so a lot of my stuff was covered. Um, you know, so it's about pain, that kind of stuff. So if this happened to somebody else who didn't have those things, this can, it could ruin their life in a whole different way mm-hmm. um, very quickly. You know, bills, you know, bills pile up, um, rent still has to be paid. Uh, all that stuff. So if you're, yeah, it just was a, a huge yeah, privilege that I did have that I had such a support, great support group to, to help me through it. I know even for me, I had a great support system. I had a place to stay, but the crippling costs of my therapy, mm-hmm. and I knew it was important, and I just kept basically hemorrhaging money to pay for therapy because I knew I needed it, and I knew that if I didn't spend money on that, that I'd be in a way worse situation. But it's hard to spend that money when... You know, I was I was young. I did not have a family relying on me for income. But I can't imagine, you know, being a parent with two kids and a partner and they're all relying on you for income. And now you've had this disastrous injury and you can't afford to pay for therapy and they come first before yourself. Right. So it can be a harder situation without a good support system. Mm -hmm. For sure. Because in that situation, someone goes back to work a little bit too soon, re-injures themselves. And now it's even more, and, you know, and WorkSafe won't cover it because it's a pre-existing injury and it's just, you know. And you just snowball. It snowballs. And you right? don't even want to get involved in WCB versus ICBC and who's going to pay for your coverage. That's just a whole other monster. I had that fight. I had that fight because unfortunately when I was riding home, I had the bank deposit book in my pants. I was going to go home and then do the bank deposit for the company. Ah, so you're um, still working. I was still working. Mm. So um, it was basically the fight of who didn't want to pay me. Um, or, or handle the claim, basically. Sure, that right? felt great. It was a nice, yeah, a nice uh, back and forth between it's the like, ICBC Can somebody adjusters. just pay for me because I matter yeah. enough? I've paid for all this help <laughs> both, and no one's helping me? <laughs> they're both suggesting each other, well, you should probably go with WorkSafe. They're really good about all this. You know, I like, and then they say, well, no, ICBC will definitely take care of you with this. And it's like, all right, no one's paying for me. We'll go at the end. So it was fine. Well, that's, it, it sounds like you have been such an incredible advocate for yourself 
And whether that was like part of the yoga before this injury, people in your life, resources you had, or just like your own mindset <laughs> that kind of got you like accessing all those tools, including your your awareness of knowing like you need someone to cover this for you. But, you know, knowing that you would benefit from uh, psychological support, you know, like you, you said, that was a big thing. Um, and being able to have those difficult conversations about ego identity and you know figuring out where that all plays like it I mean what you went through sounds like it was really intense and to listen to you talk about it as this like amazing life lesson <laughs> is just really like lovely and, and, and I'm so grateful that you have been able to share all of this with us this well, is amazing. thank you I appreciate that and like I said and, and it wasn't it wasn't easy but one of the exercises in psychology was tell yourself this story a hundred times record yourself telling it and and keep listening to it because the more you tell yourself, the less scared you become of it. It's like no longer. Like desensitize yourself? Absolutely. Mm. Um, so that before you talk about a certain point and you get choked up or you're certain, you know, something scares you, whatever it is. If you keep telling yourself that same thing, your brain gets bored and goes, I don't want to hear this again. I'm tired of this. You know, how many times can you tell this story? Yeah. Um, like it loses its bite absolutely. if it's kind of like. I've, yeah. se I've seen this shark so many times and it's never bitten me. Yeah. Well, okay. that's like a PTSD technique is to... Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, yep. desensitize yourself to the story. Yeah, Well, and I think maybe not like necessarily just in a PTSD context, but I think we can all just like reflect a little bit and think about a story that we tell ourselves that is hard to tell ourselves, that we keep telling ourselves, and maybe we are living our lives in a way that doesn't fully serve us because we're telling that yeah. story. So well, think about how many you know, stories you tell ourselves every day. We just look in the mirror and tell ourselves a story before we even go out the door, mm -hmm. right? And whether it's a nice story or a bad story, whatever you want to call it, you know, do it enough times, you get bored of the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Change the narrative and yeah, be good to yourself, right? It's a good technique. So <laughs> would that be one of the tips that you would tell people? Like if let's say the same accident that happened to you mm -hmm. happens to somebody else, yeah. let's say it's not me, knock on wood, just because I just bought a motorcycle. Let, let's even go further than that. I just want to, like, before, like, this doesn't have to be dire, right? Because these tips are actually, like, if you hurt yourself while training, if you have a mental setback in your life that kind of throws you out of some uh, journey that you're on uh, in any... Like a global pandemic. <laughs> get your mouth off the microphone. <laughs> That was every P and T. This microphone has COVID. So man. I think what Cam's trying to say is, what did you learn that you can pass on to some of the lovely people that are going to be listening to this podcast? Don't believe the stories you tell yourself when no one else is around. Ooh, self-talk. Bam. Because <laughs> I guarantee you there's a little bit of self-sabotage in there, especially if you're hurting. Um, and, you know, go by what's in front of you. Go by what you see to be true. You know, I know I'll go back to the push-up thing, but I believed that story until I tried it. And then it was like, oh, I, I can. There's modifications that can be done too, right? Um, there's not, you know, there's, there's more than one way to do things. Um, so find that modification. Find that new way, that new, I hate, you know, I don't hate to use the term, but that new normal for you if, uh, if you have a, a severe injury or not, or, a, yeah, something that's just not working like it was before. Was it a blessing in disguise? Was it like that opportunity for you to find out these things about yourself and become a stronger individual on the other side? Absolutely. Or did you end up in the same place that you were before? No, absolutely. No, it absolutely was a blessing in disguise. And to be honest, I mean, it was five years ago. If I'm the same person five years ago, that's kind of that's kind of boring. That would uh, <laughs> not be good for anybody, accident or not. You know, people change as you and you know, and, and growth is where you know that happens, right? So, mm. 
No, it was absolutely best in disguise. Um, I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, Which no. is an odd thing to say. About I know, it was right? Such a it horrific is, accident, right? It is, but uh, no, there were a lot of great things that came from it. You know, yeah, I wish I didn't have as many scars. Maybe at the same time to tell a story, right? And only I see the scars. You know, or those I wanna, you know, want to see the scars kind of thing. But you know, I really do believe that humans thrive not through adversity, but after it. Mm-hmm. Right. So through adversity, you feel like everything's falling apart. But right after you've developed all these fantastic skills and it sounds like you've developed a ton of skills um, in order to work on the next adversity that you get into. And it doesn't seem as horrific. Right. You're absolutely right. Because all these things that we've talked about today, um, they, they can be applied to to different things in your life. You know, having a fight with your with your spouse, you know, having a, you know, a work relationship gone wrong or just works tough. You know, all these things can be, be applied and, and and help you out in the future. Yeah. Well, it's even funny, like this is just a random little side note, but like when you say this story, you tell yourself or like you you thought you couldn't do a push up and then you tried and you're like, okay, I can make this work. So when I was ve- like very first working on my first chin up, I got my chin up and I could always just do one chin up and I only ever tried to do one chin up. And then like six months later, I was like, well, maybe I can do another one. And so I just got on a bar and I ended up doing, I think it was four chin-ups. And I was like, okay, well, I just kept telling myself I could only do one and didn't do more. So obviously that is not like to the extent of what you went through, but just again, how powerful our self-image, these stories we tell ourselves and whether it's experiences that shape those stories or, you know, what our, our own self-talk that shapes those stories like that, that does make a huge difference in how we can move forward. Well, and you said, oh, sorry, Jess. I was just going to say, like, this goes back to you are your own best advocate and you are your own worst enemy. If you really believe that you are capable of more, you will find ways of being capable of more. You may not be able to do what you think you you used to be able to do, but you can break that down into components. And this is something that as coaches we talk about all the time is bite-sized chunks. Smallest possible thing that I can be successful at success perfect next smallest steps that i can be successful at perfect next move on and move on and move on and sometimes it's not that linear like you mentioned uh recovery is kind of this weird uh like you said the stock market i like that (laughs) i like to picture it more as like a a two-year-old trying to draw a square where it's just like all over the place but it kind of ends at some point off to the right how about it's just a two-year-old it's just a (laughs) two-year-old And it's kind of this weird bubble, but in essence, you shape your future, like you said. Well, yeah, exactly that. You know, like what you were saying with the with the pull-ups, um, or chin-ups. Sorry, it's uh, how powerful your mind is at holding you back. I can only do one. I can only do mm-hmm. one. So it's not your body that's holding you back. It's the absolutely exit. It's, it's what you think inside. Yeah. So flip it and think how powerful it can be to push you past your limit. Right. If it can hold you back, it can push you forward too. Yeah. Equal opposite reaction. Right. Yeah. Nice Einstein quote. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. There's a few things that you've said for this that I'm just like, damn. (laughs) I know. I need to remember that. So I'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to this podcast for those little nuggets that you've left in here. I think. I think that like you know, discussing a lot of the techniques and kind of like coping mechanisms and whatnot that you're talking about uh especially in light of um the severity of ptsd that you were dealing with is really good contextually because everybody that listens to this will have the opportunity to 
take away some good operating tips, yeah. right? Nuggets. Like, yeah. Golden hey, nuggets. Hey, if, if one person can push through what they've been, you know, what's, what's something's been holding them back, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, like, home. and again, it, it's everything from literally just having so much life stress that the brand of eggs that you normally buy is is the thing that like breaks you when you're at yeah. you know the grocery store after work one day just trying because you were going to make <laughs> omelets but they were going to be with these eggs and now they're out of those eggs they're not and the everything yolks. is ruined everything is ruined yeah. uh all the way to yeah like Exactly, something something is all, all the tragic. way to the doctor in the hospital saying, "Well, we're gonna try our best." Yeah, <laughs> great, thanks, thanks, so, appreciate that. And he did try his best, and he did great. He did. He way gets to a go, gold doctor. star for that. <laughs> don't you wonder what his self talk was during that procedure? Uh, you know what? I, <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> don't want to know. Oh, another dumbass on a motorcycle. Here we go again. <laughs> Third one this week, Jane. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everyone. This has yeah. been fun. Speaking of, thank you, Fitness Humans, for joining us for episode 16 of Wave Talks Fitness for Humans, where we have discussed with Brett his harrowing story in the sweltering heat because we have to turn off the fans because otherwise they'd pick up on the mics. We offer services for you to be able to work with us. And who wouldn't want to work with us? Think about how charming we have been through this entire podcast. So, Come check out Patreon. We'd love to work with you. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you so much. Okay. Brett, I can great. Hear your Thanks for having me, guys. I can hear your fucking nostrils. I know, and I heard it too. I, and that's why I leaned back. I leaned back because I didn't know. Like, you ruined our whole podcast. Me. <laughs> and on that note, you do it again? we're done. Oh. <laughs>